0: Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a successful business, I've met directly or indirectly many successful people from entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes someone successful? Do we even know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create it for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom and the things they've learned along the way. Will Fraser has been associated with the English rugby union club Saracens since the age of 13 and he made his playing debut as flanker for the club in 2010. In 2017 he was forced to retire at the age of 27 due to a neck injury But despite the early retirement, Will has continued his lifelong career with the club. He now fronts a new programme called the Saracens Way, which aims to help organisations that are looking to improve their performance and results. The ethos behind it is that Saracens went from being the underdogs to becoming double and four time Premiership champions. So they look to share their coaching and team development knowledge that was integral to this huge success and help other organisations do the same in the process. It therefore gives me. Enormous pleasure to introduce a great guy. Welcome today's guest, Will Fraser. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Pleasure's all mine. Uh, We met, didn't we, a little while ago and uh, we we got chatting and I'm really glad that we've had the opportunity to meet up now and and to have this conversation because you are a very fascinating individual with, with quite a story, if I may say. So I suppose the first question, Will, is how did you feel when you had to retire from a sport you so obviously loved at such a young age?
1: Um you know what was what was going through your mind at the time um well, I suppose the the reality of the situation was I probably had an inkling a month or two out from when I officially got told uh sort of I had to hang my boots up, and those two months were kind of you know it's one of these ones where in reality, I knew what the situation was probably going to be. And when we saw the consultant, I knew near enough what we was going to say, but you still hold that glimmer of hope that he'll turn around and go, you know what, you're all healed, you're fine, you're good to put your boots on next weekend. Um, so really, although I knew, and until you're seeing the consultant, he sat the other side of the, the table and he says, look, unfortunately, there's not a huge amount we could do here and um, I'm afraid he'll just have to call it a day. And then it's, it's kind of like you're... You know, that whole phrase comes hits you like a ton of bricks was probably the only time I've really, truly known what that means. Um, so it was tough. It was really, really tough. But uh, obviously there's, there's other stuff that's happened outside of rugby with, with H and with, with the family that kind of helped me very indirectly, but massively, I think, helped me kind of sort my own head out in that period. H being your brother Henry, H being my brother yeah. Henry. Yeah, sorry. Very talented Step in the, the zone, tongue. right. Yeah,
0: and you talk about being hit by a ton of bricks. I'm yeah. sure that happened quite a few times on the rugby field. You can't keep yeah. it that was the
1: first time <laughs> that ever happened. Yeah, it's different. Ton of bricks and a ton of flesh. That's yeah, uh, yeah difference
0: there. Uh, so, what did you what did you think the future held? So, you know, you faced, albeit that you you probably felt there was inevitability about it, but uh, and maybe you spent some time adjusting, possibly. Mm. But you know, from dedicating your whole life really to a sport then you kind of reach this line in the sand to use an analogy. And you know, where,
1: how do you deal with the, the what next bit? Um, so I think I was very lucky to be part of a club that put a massive emphasis on personal development. So um, I think we the stat something like 90% of the senior squad are in some further education, whether that be learning how to play the ukulele or a degree or a language, whatever it is. So um, from that point of view, I, we were always encouraged to go and, try other things whilst we were playing so I did lots of work experience in the city and um, went and spoke to various people I've I'm started a degree which I'm I'm still doing now um, whilst I was playing but the honest answer is I had I did not have a clue what I wanted to do everything from the age age eight from the moment I picked up a ball everything I did from there on in was geared towards playing professional rugby and then when you make it everything's then geared to making sure you stay there and you keep improving and and keep getting better. And I think because I didn't know what to do, my tactic was to try as much as I could and do as many things as possible, almost so I could then cross them off the list and hopefully I'd whittle it down so there'd be only a couple of things left that were probably the right fit. Um, the more I tried, the more I crossed things off, the less I could try and figure out. It just wasn't clear at all. So my biggest concern was actually, wasn't even necessarily getting a job that I enjoyed, it was doing something that was going to challenge me. Because when you're in sport, it's um, every day you're of your comfort zone, every day you're being challenged to get better, every day you're trying to improve yourself and, and the team. So to try and find a job that would give me even a, a fraction of that level of get up and go, if you like, I just couldn't see where I'd come from. And then, very thankfully and very luckily the way opportunity literally fell into my lap. So it was a, yeah, it was a a bit of a godsend really. So the not having a clue bit wasn't really
0: pivotal. What was pivotal was the fact you put yourself out there and tried lots of different things and then kind of opportunity found you. Would that be a good way of having
1: it? Yeah, I think so. I think anyone in, you know, if you're doing something you're extremely passionate about and, you know, your whole life and childhood and your life's been geared towards doing that, to really expect professional sportsmen full stop to have an idea of what they want to do after is is not foolish because some do. Some know exactly what they want to do after and, and many players, we've got a few of them at the club, have started businesses whilst playing that are now very successful. But on the whole you know, the reality is not many people really know. You won't know what you want to do when you finish playing rugby until you finish playing rugby probably for a few years. And then you get an idea of what the real world is like and what you're good at and and all the rest of it. So I think, yeah, for me, my tack was just do as much as I could, speak to as many people as I could. Um, and in hindsight, I still probably didn't do that enough. Um, And then you, the, the beautiful thing about sport is people are very willing to, to go out on a limb and help you, um, rightly or wrongly, but they're, they're very willing to give you that step up in the ladder. So you just don't know who you might meet and how they might be willing to help you in, in years down the line. So, um, yeah, that was my, my play. And, and thankfully Touchwood, it's, uh, it's come off so far. Which has led beautifully
0: to my next question, mm. um, completely inadvertently, but credit to you for leading me in so well. <laughs> I know that Saracens are a, um, a, a f- a fairly unique club. I, I know mm. that you have very, very strong personal mm. ties to them and they are part of your kind of extended family. Mm. What What is it about Saracens that makes them so special
1: as a club? So for me, I obviously knew when I was playing what a special place it was and what an amazing group I was fortunate enough to be part of. But when you're in it, you're still in this kind of little bubble and, and, and the rugby's still the main thing. Now I've stepped out and I've really been able to take a step back and look at it from a different point of view. I think for me what was special about it is that because I've been in it my entire adult life, it's completely moulded me as a person in terms of how I think, how I act with people, how I react to people. Um, you know, the values that we live by at the club aren't values for rugby, they're values for life. So they've really kind of resonated with me and that's how I try and live my life now that I'm I'm not a rugby player. And I think it's also the fact that it, you're not there as a rugby player, you're there as a person, you're not You're not spoken to or treated as a rugby player. You're spoken to and treated as a person and you're valued as a person. And I think that's massively important for any walk of life in any job is that you're not there, you're not a commodity that comes in, you do your training session, you play your match, you go home and no one cares what else you do. Sari's almost the other way around. There's almost more interest in, in our personal lives, in our families, in our parents, in our our siblings and then off the back of learning that actually how can we then use that to help you become a better rugby player so i think that's what makes it really special is that it's you're there as a genuine person and people genuinely care for you and you genuinely care for the for the people you're with so you mentioned values mm. don't think you're getting away with it that easily yeah. what what are those values so saracen's values are honesty, discipline work and humility so the whole premise um of saracen's you know if you took kind of Saracens as a strap line. essentially what what we try and do is create good people. Because you create good people, you create good rugby players. So those values aren't specific to a rugby team. They're not specific to rugby players. They were brought in to make us good people. Because if we become good people, you can then layer the rugby on and we become better rugby players. So it's kind of something I try and use now, you know, with the the Saracens Way stuff and when we're talking to to other people and other organisations is saying, actually, if you can create good people who – look forward to coming into work, who generally care about the people they work with, who are invested in the organisation they work for, who enjoy what they do, very naturally they're going to be better at their jobs because they're more willing to share information, help people around them, spend that extra bit of time on the task because they're invested in what it's trying to achieve. So, you know, for me, the the learning stuff I've taken from sport has been endless really. So what makes a good team? Uh, What makes a good team is understanding your team. So what makes us brilliant as Saracens isn't going to be the same recipe for what makes another rugby club different sure. which makes a and I think within that is understanding the people in your team because even though we have a brilliant culture and everyone's very close and very tight we have very different personalities within that and you have to understand what those differences different personalities are and how they operate how they take on information how they give you know all those those bits so for me what makes a great team is actually understanding your team because people kind of think right to to build a great team you've got to do x y and z but actually the people you have in within that team might not buy into those three things they might think completely differently and if you're then trying to force this mantra on them that it's going to be undermined from the get-go so that yeah that's well I mean very my very humble opinion that's what I think well I, I'd say quite
0: authoritative actually with, <laughs> with, with all that you've achieved I mean let's be honest they haven't been shabby have they over the last few years so no, uh, touch I wood. think I think um, yeah <laughs> a, a, a great standard for which many clubs will want to aspire I'm sure um how is the how has the game of rugby changed I mean I suppose that's a fairly obvious question but I mean even in your time mm. you, you've seen the game change enormously I mean it's yeah. number one it's far more commercial, it's much more popular as a sport,
1: but how has it changed? Yeah, I think, as you say, I, I had a, a, a relatively short career really. And even in my short career, as you say, it, it's changed massively. I mean, even medically. So I remember when I first sort of came through, you know, as a kid in particular, but when I first started playing in the premiership, things like concussions, it was very much a case of you get knocked out on a pitch, um, physio comes over, you're okay, well, yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm golden. What's the score? look over your shoulder at the scoreboard 29-10 okay brilliant who are we playing look over your other shoulder we're playing sale you okay yeah good all right off you go and that that was the that what is now the hia that was and you look at it now and completely rightly so there's this, a proper protocol in place and and you know you've got to take the the hia test when you come off if you don't pass you're not allowed back on you got the protocols to get back into play so that the medical side of it and the player safety side of it has gone to the roof which is great um Lads are getting, I mean, I watched the but I've only been out of it a year and a half. And I think how on earth did I even manage to make it to 27? Because the boys are so strong, so powerful. The collisions are so big. Um, and as you say, then commercially, and I think rugby, is, it's changed massively since I played, but I think the next five years it was, it's going to be, change even more so with the world cup being in japan rugby's growing massively in asia that's going to be a massive kickstart there's going to be more tv rights there's money pumping in people are going to invest in it um which is great because it means the sport is growing it means it's reaching more people which is what we all want but there's a very obvious potential side effects if you like that could come along with that um and we'll just have to wait and see and hopefully at Saracens anyway, I can only talk on behalf of Saracens. With the culture we've got and the people we've got, hopefully that will negate a lot of it before it begins. But we'll wait and see. Now, you're not, you
0: know, you're not a slight guy. You know, you're pretty, pretty well built, if you don't mind saying yeah, I've got a baggy jumper on. So it's, uh, <laughs> um, so what, what on earth, how do you deal with, you know, somebody who's twice the size of you running towards you at speed with a rugby ball? I mean,
1: you is, there a, is there a
0: mindset that you have to develop in order to deal with, that because you could almost draw the business analogy, couldn't you, where you're faced with some kind of challenge or, mm. or problem where it's quite easy to stand aside and let them through, let's yeah. be honest.
1: Um, I think, I think there's, there's a number of things. One, um, if you've made it to that level of, of rugby, you've kind of played long enough that you actually enjoy the contact. So it's quite, it, it's, uh, for me, I was never very quick. I was never done with good feet. So I didn't score many tries. So my equivalent of scoring a try was putting a big hit on someone. So I it was said, something I your I, job was something really? well, yeah, yeah. So it's something I kind of relished, but so I think that's part of it. Secondly, um, it, it's your job and your job is to go out there and hit someone and try and get the ball back. So, and then, and then thirdly you, you've got, 15 other guys or 14 other guys next to you on the pitch you've got the rest of the squad who are watching you you've got family you've got friends that you're if I'm standing on the pitch and I've got someone twice my size running at me and I kind of cower out the way I mean geez I would never ever live that down I'd rather try and hammer him Mm. and get bumped off and be on my back than just let him walk through because you just the embarrassment would be, be too much to bear but um you just have to do it and as I say it's it was never I'd say 99% of rugby players they might want to think differently. But if there's a, a big fella opposite, it's, it's, it's nothing changes when you're at school. If you're in the, when you're at school and you see the opposition team arrive and they've got a couple of big lads, you're all there going, oh my word, that guy is massive. Like what are we going to do? It doesn't change professional. You're in the tunnel. You're next to these guys. I remember numerous times because I was never overly big on a rugby pitch. I remember numerous times I've been stood next to someone in a European Cup game or whatever it is and I'm honestly, this guy's like twice the size of me, he's huge. But you go the other way. Which is actually quite difficult for me to imagine actually. Honestly, but- I, I mean, eight, uh, Henry, he's, you know, he'll tell you, my, my, my brothers will tell you, um, you know, and, and you actually go the other way and you see them on the ball and it's kind of sort of, rabbits in the headlight and you just want to do nothing other than put the biggest shot on that you can. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I think it is a mindset thing. And I think, you know, taking it to business off, as you said, if you've got a challenge in front of you, you know, what, what benefit is it to anyone to carry away from it and let it defeat you? You need to go and sort of attack it head on. And if, if you do it, brilliant. If you don't, then we learn from it and do it again. Any particular hit you're especially proud of? There must be one that stands um, there's, out. Uh, there's a couple there was one which is which is is hundred percent a red card nowadays. Um we played on an Irish double header, Thomas O'Leary, and he came off the back of a, a line out and I um what was an, what was called a, a Gibbs tackle where you kind of upend them, mm. which at the time was a, a great tackle, now it is a 10 week ban. So so probably wrong of me to say that one is one of my favourites. Um European Cup final that we won, um for me was one of the, sort of the better games I played in purely because I don't think I touched the ball at all. I just tackled the entire game. Um, and there's a few big lads there that I managed to get down. So that stands out for me. I'd like to talk to you about the Saracens
0: way. Yes. Was, was that built with you as the front man in mind? How did that all come about?
1: So the Saracens way actually as a as a phrase um, was something we used to speak about, still do at the club quite a lot. So it was the way we kind of... Um, Characterize how we are as a club. So when we're playing well, or when, actually, to be honest, when we hadn't played well, why hadn't we played well? Because we'd not stuck to the Saracens way. Because we hadn't done X, Y, and Z. A guy called Hugh Vivian, um I think he's top three all time appearances for the, in the Premiership. When he retired from the club, um he kind of took that and used it, tried to commercialize it, um and go externally to corporates to say, "Look, this is a brilliant story. What in this can we?" take and, and sort of um translate into your world without going into detail for one or better reason unfortunately that didn't take off um, it was then handed down to a guy called Neil de who was a scrum half, played over 250 games for the club um, he took it on whilst still playing professionally he had three kids to look after so considering the little time he had to work on it did a, a phenomenal job in sort of creating the concept and and giving it the foundation to what it is today and then when Neil, again, well, no detail, but that didn't take off. I then got approached by Nigel Ray and Nick Lesnar, one, one of the directors. And because I've been at the club since I was a kid, i had been through the whole journey, what we call the pre-revolution days and all the rest of it. And I'd helped Neil with a few of his sessions. They said, look, do you want to take it on? And I was still playing at the time. So I said, 100% in my thinking of, I don't know what I want to do. This could be a great opportunity to learn about business and, and all the rest of it. And then a few months later, I finished playing, and it just morphed into a into a full time full time role. So I was, again, when I said at the start, it fell into my lap. It literally fell into my lap. Um, so I'm just trying to do everything I can to make sure that I I do it justice. That for Hugh and Neil, who kind of started the journey, that I do them justice for the work they put in. Um, and it's something I'm extremely passionate about, and you know, I try my best to make it as good as I can. What do you encourage people to
0: take from Uh, the Saracens way into other walks of life?
1: So I think that the biggest thing is unless your job is to sit in a room on your own and fix a computer, you have to deal with people. Even they would have to deal with people because they buy the computer from someone. So because everyone in every walk of life has to deal with people, the issues people have in very different contexts, in very different words, in very different environments fundamentally come back to the same things. It's dealing with people, it's communication channels, it's understanding someone, it's being able to give people feedback, it's people not taking things personally, and le- all those kind of things. And actually, if you strip the rugby away from Saracens, essentially what the Saracens way is, is looking at how, as an organization, we've gone from being an extremely low performing organization to being one of the top performing organizations in our industry. And we've done that entirely through looking after people, not rugby players. And the rugby players comes off the back of looking after the people. So that's a very high level kind of view in it. But that's what we kind of say to to businesses. If you can create a culture, whatever that culture might be, it doesn't have to be ours, it has to be right for the right people. But you create almost that foundation safety net of culture, then actually you're much more likely to have sustainable success because people are buying into what you're trying to do. You don't have huge labor turnover which means actually your costs then there's so many benefits to it and it's if you you could know absolutely squat about rugby and you will learn so much from the program because it's not about the rugby it's about everything that sits underneath the culture the people the values how do you actually look after performance as a whole Um, so yeah it's about people it's about communication it's about knowing the people that you're working with and working for
0: and this seems an obvious question well but what has it done for you as a as a person
1: Um, well, as I said at the start, the Saracen's way is entirely molded me as a, as a person. And I try in everything that I do, try and live and breathe it every day. And I fall short sometimes, everyone falls short of of values, but it's not the falling short that's the issue. It's then using that foundation and culture to put you back up. Um, so it's entirely, it's everything about me. Um, and then in terms of actually being able to then turn that into a job it's kind of mimicked what I did with with rugby in many ways you know rugby was essentially my hobby that I then managed to create a job out of. this is just how I am I'm now somehow tried to create a, a job out of so um, it's great and it, it's you know it's the biggest thing for me since finishing is it's given me that direction and purpose and drive and challenge as I said to start most importantly because it's I went from doing GCC business studies playing rugby for 15 years and then being given a business to run so there's a big gap there between the two the businesses so um, I've made a hat full of errors and some absolute stinking ones as well but that's the challenge and you learn from it and you get better and and you keep growing. So the acceptance of um some
0: will call it failure, but you know, that learning, those learning experience you're saying is a fundamental part of a successful
1: journey. 100%. And I don't, I wouldn't even call them failures because a failure is only a failure if you make it more than two, three times. Otherwise it's a learning experience. And I think for me, especially from you know a cultural standpoint, we go into clients, actually the strongest cultures are the ones that have been through failure failure in inverted commas the ones that have had times of adversity because actually that's how you build resilience that's how you test the culture and if it stands these tests then you know it, it, it's going to be long-term sustainable no organization however successful in any industry has a perfect culture that it doesn't exist because people change external environment influences change management changes performance changes it, it doesn't exist but the the foundation of those cultures, the pillars with which they stand exist and they are incredibly strong, which means that if you do fall short, you do have these times of adversity, you do need to flex and tweak it because things change. Then you can do that because you have those pillars that support the the whole thing. Obviously you, you close knit, big close knit family. Mm.
0: Uh, you had to deal with retiring from the sport you love very early in your career and your brother Henry suffers a life changing accident Needless to say, I suppose you are well-versed as a family in the art of dealing with adversity. Mm. Um, I don't suppose it ever gets any easier. But what would you say to people who perhaps are facing some kind of challenge? Because, uh, you know, the skeptics will say, well, you know, he's just a positive guy and, you know, he's mm. he's done well for himself and mm. he's surrounded by all these great people. But, you know, here I am, different set of circumstances dealing with Something that I really can't see beyond. What what bit of advice would you give to those people who are really struggling for whatever reason?
1: Yeah, I think it's um. So if I relate it back to to my career, so I I retired early and I I had sort of ten operations along the way before twenty seven, um, and even the guys at the club, you know, after sort of four or five, you say to me, oh, I don't get how you're still coming in and smiling and you're, you know you're quite upbeat, and and they always said, oh, you're so positive about stuff, but. Actually, if you're not, then it just eats away at you and your, your quality of life, everything about you just starts to wane and you start becoming a drag on people around you. People don't want to spend time with you because you just moan and complain. And so I think for me, and actually it's quite interesting when you said that it doesn't get easier. It doesn't get easier, but you understand it better, which kind of indirectly does make it easier. So with every injury, with every surgery I had, I knew myself that little bit better That it meant actually I knew how to get myself out of that hole a little bit quicker, which meant then I could get back to just focusing on, I need to get myself better because I want to get back, get back out playing. Um, So it kind of got to a point where I'd be, I'd be down for, you know, weeks then days. And then it gets a point where, right, well, you're going to have to have surgery on whatever it is. And i would be like, okay, I get home, lock myself in my room for half an hour, have a scream, have a cry, have a shout, punch her through pillows And then that's it, done, move on. Um, And I think as well, even towards the back end, when I was out for slightly longer periods, it's kind of then taking a step back and going, right, okay, I'm injured, yes, but I'm coming in to work, in inverted commas, every day with my best friends, with people I love. I'm being paid to go to the gym. I'm being paid to eat healthily. I'm being paid to have a brilliant lifestyle. What do I really have to be sad about and the reality of it and, and, and I think that mindset helped me with retiring as well is the reality of the situation is I lived my childhood dream I would have loved to have done it for longer I would have loved to have made that extra step and played for England but the reality is I lived my childhood dream I played with and against players that I'd idolized as a kid even to this day I met um Felipe Contopomi the other week at a talk I was given and he came and said hello to me, which initially I was like, oh, wow. Um, hi. I'm, and he said, uh, what are you up to? And I said, oh, I actually finished playing just every year. And he goes, no, no, I know. I know. I mean, what, and even then I'm taken aback and a bit like, and and it's just, you know, it's it's quite surreal now thinking back to what I was actually able to achieve. And you know, I've got a European Cup medal and a Premiership medal. And um, so I think, you know, the the, the going back to still without waffling, going back to the original question, I think the big thing is is just taking a step back from whatever adversity you're in and actually trying to look at the bigger picture because sometimes it's actually not that bad. Sometimes it is very bad and you need to deal with that, but the majority of the time it's really not that bad. And, you know, it's a, it's a cliche and it's it's potentially quite patronising, but there are always other people that are dealing with other stuff that could be worse, could not be as bad, but there are other people dealing with other stuff. And if you can take that step, and understand that then it's that first step on your own recovery to go right okay right i need to figure out how to deal with this now so the big picture to take mm. a couple of words you used a second ago what what's the
0: big picture for you i mean what what's next is have you thought about that yeah uh, uh things yeah. you still want to
1: achieve for example yeah so i think from a sort of from a, a, a business point of view it is you know, the Saracen's way has got massive legs, massive potential. I'm very lucky that I've been given the opportunity to, to front that up and run that in, in however I see fit. So I want to do that. As I said, I want to do that justice. I think it's got massive potential. I want to make sure that I fulfil that potential and it's sustainable and it remains authentic and and genuine um my own personal life i'm, I'm getting married in the summer so um that's quite a big <laughs> a big day <laughs> um quite a big gig yeah yeah so um i think the nice thing you know, the silver lining of 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 finishing from sport is you you get weekends back you can actually do normal things again you can have a few beers on a Wednesday evening you can go and spend yeah you know, so so I think for me it's just it's being happy I'm really I can't wait to get married I can't wait to start a family I can't wait to to sort of start that next chapter in my life and and with the Saracens way alongside that or whatever I'm doing for me as long as I'm happy in myself and my family are happy and my wife-to-be is happy and my future kids are happy and nothing else really matters. Wow.
0: Not quite sure what to say to that (laughs) other than good for you. Um, (laughs) So uh, thinking about um, all of those, all of those things, what would you say um, to a younger version Mm. of yourself if you were having a conversation that that son to be dad, give me a, give me a few words of wisdom, a couple of Mm. quick sentences on what I need to focus on
1: in order to make the most of my life. Um, So there's two things. One is don't don't close a door that's open to you. So if you've got the opportunity to do something, don't turn it down without actually giving it the due diligence of actually finding out what it is, what could happen off the back. You know, a lot of people I think, and I'm very guilty of it, I think probably everyone is, where someone offers you the chance to go meet someone or to do something and because you've got something else on or you're a bit tired or whatever it is, people go, oh, no, no, i you just don't know what could have, come off the back of it. So that's one thing. And the second one's a quote, um, Nigel Ray, actually, in. Um, I was in the meeting with him and Nick, the early Saracens Way kind of meetings, and he, and he slipped this bit of paper in front of me with this quote on, and it says, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And I think it's so true. And indirectly, again, I think is what Sarries have, have tried to do. And for me, then as a kid, it's kind of saying, well, listen, you can, you can tell someone to do something to your blue in the face. You can give them all the advice you want, but unless they know it's genuine and unless they know you're actually are doing it for the right reasons, then why would they listen to you? Why would they take it on board? So I think, again, it goes back to the whole people thing is that you have to make genuine relationships with people. You have to genuinely care about people and then you can start getting the best out of it because until you do, it's all... You know, potentially a bit facetious a bit facade all for show um and luckily with the environment i've been in with the family that i've got you know i've been brought up to think that way anyway and for me that quote just kind of reinforced a lot of how i i try and be anyway so you strike me as a
0: young man uh i keep talking to people as a young man <laughs> because i'm 50 um everyone's young to me um <laughs> So you strike me, and you are quite clearly a role model to many, many people. Who's yours? Do you have one? Um,
1: so, as a kid, um, rugby wise, a guy called Richard Hill. Yeah. So, and I was very fortunate. In my first year as a professional rugby player, he was my kind of mentor, which was one of the most surreal moments of my life. Um, he was definitely one um, from that point of view. Uh, <laughs> Well, Henry's my, my little brother's obviously, um, as much as I'd never tell him that. Um, I think, I think, and, and my, to be honest, my entire family, you know, I think a lot of times when, when bad things happen. So a lot of people say with the whole thing, you meet people and, you know, they talk about H and, and the family and stuff. I don't know how you guys have dealt with that. Like it's, I don't think we could have done it. And I always turn around and say, well, we didn't know if we could deal with it we had no idea it's not something we thought you of. Just you just did because you have to and it's a way that my my parents in particular dealt with it um you know with three other kids to look after all three of us still living at home um that was right in the height of the the crash you know and so obviously dad took was taking a bit of, hit of work at the time and it, there was so much stuff going on and the way they dealt with it was was just unbelievable. Um, the way my brothers, my older brother in particular, who kind of really looked after me at the time. Um, and then my youngest brother, Don was on holiday and we kind of obviously helped him. And then you then obviously go full circle and you see how H has dealt with the, the whole thing. And really... He would say he's, he's always done it for him, but it's actually the most selfless thing ever. Because we've had conversations where he probably hasn't said to us how he truly feels because he's worried about how we would then feel. Yet he's the one in that situation, which makes zero sense. But um, but in many ways, I'm glad he did do that because it would have made it a lot harder, a lot harder for us. So I think seeing that, and I, I yeah, you know, I'm sure my other two brothers and mum, and dad would say the same thing. It's never a situation. When I had to deal with my own personal- you know with injuries and stuff, I never stopped and thought, right, well, Henry's dealing with this, so I need to sort this out. I never ever thought that, but I think it's probably had a monumental impact on my subconscious where I just naturally started thinking that way, and i'm I'm almost sure it's entirely down to how H has dealt with his scenario and how my family have been throughout that that whole period so um yeah my age and my 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 family are um yeah huge for me good answer Mm -hmm. Um, as mine are to me so um
0: (laughs) we have that in common at least good good. um time has beaten us i'm afraid Mm. but i have to thank you most sincerely for sharing so many amazing pearls of wisdom that i'm sure all the listeners would have found most beneficial
1: thank you so how do
0: we find out more about will fraser and all the great things that you're doing at saracens and and beyond
1: yeah so obviously i've got my own personal social media but that's pretty boring so i'll give you that still,
0: still
1: <laughs> want to know about it will uh will fraser underscore no Will underscore Fraser eighty nine 89 it's that boring okay. i did not even it know it doesn't, doesn't even um and then the Saracen's way so uh www.thesaracensway.com is the website with kind of all the information on there um and on on twitter and instagram it's at the saracens way um and really so any inquiries you want to find out more you know it's the email address on there there's video and and you know clients and testimonies all the rest of it so um if anyone wants to find out anything then then please just drop me a line i'm sure they will so thank you very much indeed. thank, you, well, thank you real pleasure
0: thank you good man Well, that was another Sandro Forte podcast and what a fabulous guest Will Fraser was. Thank you, Will. There are many more fantastic guests joining me over the coming weeks. So please make sure you subscribe if you want to pick up some great tips on success. Remember, you can follow us on social media at Sandro's Podcast. That's Sandro's with an S, don't forget. Same on all channels. And we'd love to hear your stories, ideas, anecdotes, challenges, or what motivates you. So please email me hello at sandrospodcast.com. And remember to keep those reviews on iTunes coming. See you next week.